pray and whatnot and and uh, ask for the Lord's help and then we'll uh, <laughs> uh, then we'll dive in and re- we'll do a bit of review for a minute. But all right, let's pray. Father, we look to you this morning. Uh, thank you that you've revealed yourself to us in your word. Yes. Thank you for the light that we've received, um, uh, seen so brightly and fully in Christ. I uh, pray that you would uh, give us understanding, <clears throat> that you'd open our eyes to see and our ears to hear, um, that you would set our hearts and our faces towards you, that you would uh, illuminate us and help us to understand this uh, topic, understand your work of redemption and atonement, um, and to uh, respond in our hearts in a way that's uh, appropriate to the gift that it is. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Excuse me. Losing my voice. All right, so I think this is the fourth installment. Uh, Y'all can correct me if I'm wrong. It's taken a long time. Uh, to get here, just because it's intermittent, obviously, uh, Brandon uh, usually teaching here, but um, with his new managerial job and uh, and him preaching tonight, it's becoming an increasing burden for him to do two in a day like that, so we certainly appreciate your faithfulness, brother, to, to dig and study and, and appreciate the fact that it does take up so much of your time if that makes sense without seeming uncaring or insensitive so um so we before this in the previous i think three times we sort of traced out um atonement a study of atonement throughout the old testament um that started way back in genesis where everything starts and we looked at the particular emphasis and i don't want to review too much here um, but we looked at the particular emphasis that atonement was always representative. It was never, it was never just uh, generic and abstract. Uh, a, a, a man, the head of his family, would bring a, a sacrifice upon, which would die in the place of that family, uh, would, would, you know, would hold off the wrath of God, push away the judgment of God that they deserve for their family. It was very representative, right? The Passover lamb was was according to a number, okay, et cetera, et cetera. The high priest would come on the Day of Atonement bringing the blood of oxen and goats for himself first and then one representing the people. But not all the people of the world, just Israel, right? Just the people for whom he was interceding. So the nature and the of the atonement was one that was very substitutionary, very representative. It wasn't just making general offerings to appease God. It was to atone for particular sins of particular people, etc. That's what we saw as we studied that out for those three weeks. Um, hopefully everybody can remember that. Any any questions about that review before we jump into the New Testament? All right, <clears throat> let's just jump in. That's what I'm seeing. All right, so here's what I've done uh, com- in compiling a list of text. It was overwhelming. Um, so what I've done for today, I, I, I haven't arranged it thematically like I did last time so much, but but I've just taken excerpts from the Gospels and one from the book of Acts. And if we can cover those today, I'll be very happy. And then next time, Lord willing, probably perhaps the next month, who knows when, um, but we'll we'll start looking at the epistles, okay? And, and then we'll just move forward in. There's a lot of content on this. There's a lot of content. This is three pages, and, and it's not exhaustive even in the Gospels. So just bear that in mind. All right, now this is going to seem like an odd place to jump in, um, but I, I kind of did it to force us to bring to mind what we what we learned before because it's been a while. Matthew three fifteen. What's happening here in Matthew three? Yeah, Jesus is being baptized. Right? He's 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 being uh, um, um, uh, what do you call it? Ordained? Not that's not the word. Um, he's beginning his earthly ministry. Right. Right, anointed, that's the word I was looking for. 
He's being anointed as a man, being anointed by the Holy Spirit to commission his earthly ministry. And he tells, he comes to John and says, "Baptize me." And John says, "What?" Yeah, John's like, no, sir, buddy. At first, John he says, no, 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 no. This is a baptism of repentance. I need to repent. You don't need to repent, Jesus. But Jesus presses on him and says, no, no, no. This must needs be, the old King James says, right? I like that language there. This is necessary. Why? Because this is the way we fulfill all righteousness. Amen. What does that remember what that means? We've emphasized hey, we've emphasized it a lot in Luke's gospel. It was Jesus as the representative of his people, as a flesh and blood man, living the life of 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 righteousness and adherence to God's will that God required for his image bearers, right. and him doing that for his people. Amen. So that that hey girls, that so that um, that would be uh, um, appropriated to them and that they could have the blessings of that righteousness. Now, if here's, here's the thing, and I, I'm probably jumping ahead a little bit. It's hard for me not to. If, if Jesus' purpose in His earthly ministry was to fulfill all righteousness, meaning fulfill what... What God required, everything that God required for an image bearer to be in right standing with Him, if that was Jesus' purpose, then what options do we have as regarding the scope of that? Either He did that only for certain people, representatively, or He did that for every person representatively. Now, if he fulfilled all that God required of righteousness for every person without exception, then what's the eternal destiny of every person without exception? Heaven, right? Now, does the Scripture allow for that understanding? Okay, straight is the gate and narrows the way and few find their way in. Okay? We're just starting out. Girls, this is, uh, I don't know if you were here for a study of the atonement, but the last three times uh, we looked at just the nature of the atonement um, in the Old Testament. Now we're moving from top to, uh, or from shadow to substance. um, And we're looking at the nature of Christ's atonement in the New New Testament. So feel free to ask questions if you have them. Okay. It's good to be interactive. All right. Again, this is not exhaustive. Um, Matthew twenty twenty eight. Remember, this is, the context of this is, uh, I think, uh, James and John, maybe, sons of Zebedee, they come to Jesus and said, uh, uh, you know, let us, exalt us above the rest of the disciples, essentially. Let us sit at your right hand and your left, etc. And then Jesus, he, re- he rebukes them, essentially saying, hey, the lords of the Gentiles rule over their people like that. That's not the way we. That's not the way we lead. That's not the way we rule in the new covenant, right? Um, and he says this. Uh, he points to himself as the, the 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 ultimate example of that. He says, even as the Son of Man, that's uh, the reference to himself in his ministry. There came not to be served, but to serve. Okay. So that's his mission statement. What does his service look like? What does it entail? It entails giving his life, not not asking them to sacrifice their lives for him like Gentile kings do, but to give his life substitution as a ransom. Okay, what's a ransom? What happens as the result of a ransom? Think about this stuff basically. Yeah, they're free, right? The one who's bound is now free, right? So he's he's saying, now what are these people bound to? Right, right. Not the Romans. I mean, they are, but that like that's he makes the point. Like that's not the point. The Romans, they're not your problem. Sin is the problem. He says he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Notice many, not all here. We'll we're going to deal with the language of all. 
We're going to, I'm not going to shy away from it. I tried to make sure I included every single one of them. If I overlooked one, by all means, bring them up. Usually if you read like two verses before, two verses after, they explain it. But, but again, what does, then what do, what, if, if, if Jesus' purpose was to give his life to ransom people, then, then if he did that for every human being that ever lived, what do we, again, say of every human being that ever lived? They're all ransomed. They're all ransomed. Or he failed. I hope number two is a non-starter <laughs> to say Jesus failed. He tried, but he failed. Okay, the captain of our salvation has not failed. Um, all right, now we're, I'm just some of these are stronger, some of these are weaker, but I just want us to to interact with them all. I don't I don't want any obvious stone left uncovered. Matthew twenty six twenty eight. This is the institution of the Lord's Supper, right? Jesus says, take this, uh, take, partake of this cup uh, to his disciples, well, to the 12 there particularly, not all the disciples, but to the apostles. Um, he says, for this is my blood of the covenant. Now, when we stop there, go back to our last three times. What was the blood of the covenant? Remember what, what that would happen. Remember when, when, uh, Israel, sorry, was led by Moses up to Mount Sinai to enter into covenant with him. Right? Remember, they 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 couldn't even approach the mountain right. without dying right. because God's holy and they're not. Right. Right? right? They they had to send representatives, Moses initially, and God graciously allowed the elders of the people to come up and represent. And in order for them to get in covenant in relationship with God, what did they first have to do? They had to sacrifice. They had to acquire gallons, if I remember correctly, gallons and gallons of blood. And each of those representative heads of the clans had to had to pour that blood out in those buckets or basins or whatever they were on those stones up there. Right? Why? Because that's the only way they could be in covenant with God. Why? Because of their sin. See, the death being substituted, being transferred on those sacrificial animals. Now, was that covenant with all the other nations of the world? So, for whom did that blood stand? The people of Israel. Okay, so it's a similar thing here. Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant. We'll see in a minute the new covenant. Um, And again, He says, it's poured out for many, not all here, but again, we'll deal with all language later. Now notice the four here. This goes beyond the blood of the old covenant. Right. To what end, what purpose is this blood poured out? Forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins. Okay? Again, we go to the same problem. If this was poured out for every human being that's ever lived, then... Everybody be forgiven. <laughs> they spend eternity in heaven. Okay? Okay. Now, I know people push back and say, well, he just did, did this as, an accept, uh, as, a, as a possibility, right? And, and I, th- I hope by the time we even get through the Gospels, you'll see that that isn't plausible. Um, in other words, uh, well, I don't know whether to go here or go to look at that later. Give me just a minute to look at my things. Yeah, let's come back to that. All right, Luke, go on to the next one. So the the blood poured out that instituted the covenant was to the end of forgiveness. Okay, there's not a lot different there in Luke twenty two twenty. Just want you to see the language of substitution there. Uh, likewise, the cup after they'd eaten. Just Luke's parallel account here. This cup that is poured out. Notice for you. Not indiscriminately, it had it had a a, um, a, um, a representative audience in mind, a, a particular scope and purpose in mind. He says, "This is the new covenant in my blood." Right. So again, what's the blood for? For for those in the new covenant. Right. Okay. So, however, whatever your you know 
uh, view of the scope is you must delimit it to those in the new covenant. I mean, he repeatedly says um, this is the blood of that covenant. For those not in that covenant, it is not poured out, just like as was true was the old. All right, Uh, Luke 24. And feel free to interject with questions anytime. If we don't get through, we don't get through. and We'll pick it up where we do. Um, let's see. What's going on? Let me remind myself. Oh, okay. So this is basically Luke's version of the Great Commission here. Sorry, I did not have a lot of time to, to study for this. Um, I apologize for that. He, uh, Luke 24, 46 for context. Thus it is written, this is uh, after the road to Emmaus there in Luke's gospel at least, uh, that the Christ should suffer. So when he says thus is written, remember he just said Jesus took him aside and explained to him how Moses and all the prophets spoke of him, that it was all about Jesus. And he, and he says, uh, so here he's summarizing, thus it's written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day raise from the, rise from the dead. And then look, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to whom? All nations. To all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Now, you say, what in the world's that got to do with this? This sounds inclusive. This sounds expansive. Yes, that's my point. That's the reason I went here. Because when, when, we, when we see this inclusivity, when we see this expansive language used in the New Testament, this is what it's referring to. Remember this great scandal. Remember what, even with the apostles, what it took for, for them to say, okay, this gospel's, this, what Jesus has done is not just for Jewish people. Right? Remember in the book of Acts what that took. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. No, no, sir, I'm a Jew. We don't eat that stuff. And, you know, three times Jesus said, don't call what I've cleansed unclean. Right. And then he explicitly says he's referring to the gospel going out to the Gentiles. It was scandalous for a first century Jew to think, to think the Jewish Messiah would come and judge most of Israel. And we'll see that in the morning sermon and predominantly say Gentiles. It was scandalous. Right. Hence, you have to have this, not have to, but God gave this emphasis over and over and over and over again about the expansiveness of the gospel outside the borders and ethnic boundaries of the nation of Israel. So, I say that as a preface to John one twenty nine. Look at it, please. The next day... This is, so this is now we're back in time to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, earthly ministry. The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him. Remember what he said? This was the one we had concluded our Old Testament study with. Why? Because we looked for three weeks about the sacrificial lamb and substitutionary atonement. And then John says, when he sees Jesus coming, he says, Behold, this is God's lamb. This is the lamb that God has sent for. This is the lamb that God's provided. And what does this lamb do? He takes away, notice that, we're left with the same problem there, the sin of the world. Now, if the lamb takes away the sin of every human being, again, what does it say for every human being? They're righteous. Okay, now, so what does he mean here? How, how are we to understand the world? And you're, we're going to see this a lot in John's Gospel. Well, that's why I prefaced it with Luke's, right? The nations, okay? When, when the Jews thought, just like we do today, we think Christians and the world don't love the world, don't act like the world. You're not part of the world. It's the same language. They... Because God says you're a holy people. You don't be like the world. Right. You're holy. You're special. That's what he, or not special in and of yourself. Special in the sense that God has called you and you're under, him, and you're under um, uh, His headship. So th- that's, that's the scandal of what John the Baptist is saying. Remember, as he's calling Israelites who think they're in 
to repent. He's calling them to recognize you're not in. Right? You have to repent. You Israelites, you have to repent and turn to Jesus to be in. See? And he's saying, this Lamb of God, He takes away the sins of the world. So he's trying to tell Jews it's outside them too. By using that language. Not ex- excluding them, but... Yes. But but it goes beyond them. Right. It's not delimited to, to them. Right. That's what he means by that. I mean, think about it. In, like in the old covenant era, like all the revelation, everything happened to to through them. The revealing of God, the work, the progress of redemption. It was delimited to this one ethnicity of people. So for that to expand out, I mean, that's scandalous. Right, so, and so you have all these affirmations. Jesus said it over and over and over again. Um, uh, yeah, and here, any, any more on that? Okay, all right. John three. If there's anything that's used to say well, uh, this is wrong, John three sixteen would be it. And again, <coughs> context. It's the first three rules of hermeneutics. Yeah. My friends. Context, context. Thank you. Indulge me. Thank you, brother. Context, context, context. John 3 in context um, does anything but what um, uh, folks assume it to do. We're going to jump into verse 14 there. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Okay, back up. Numbers 14-ish or something like that. Right? What's this talking about? Remember the event? Yeah, they had to run and look at those serpents. Yeah, they're grumbling. God judged them with those fiery serpents, and 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 their 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 doctors couldn't help them, and and they were just languishing and dying. And Moses intercedes, and God says, "Make a bronze serpent, right? Big, shiny, in the glistening in the sun. Hold it up high on a military standard before the people, and tell them." Look on this and you'll be healed. Right. And and of course, they look on the object of their affliction, right? Like it sounded ridiculous. So it was it was necessitating faith, trust in God's word and God's remedy, God's mediation, etc. And and they simply looked on that, looked to that in faith, and they were healed of the consequences of their sin. So okay, remember that backdrop. Uh, uh, John 3.16 and such doesn't make any sense without it. He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so in that manner must the Son of Man be lifted up. Obviously, he's talking about the cross. Now, look at verse 15. That whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Now, what's that? Again, What's the scope of this? What's the point? Whoever draws near to the serpent. Yeah, right. Who, that's, who, the, who's going to have eternal life here? The one who has faith. Right. The one who believes. Who, 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 to whom is that open? The believers. Well, yeah, to the, to the Jews only? No. To the Samaritans and the Jews only? See, John's he constantly uses this expansive language, right? To whoever believes, okay? Now, let me show you why I say that. I know that's not very convincing in verse 15, but keep in mind that's the, con- <laughs> the, the backdrop to verse 16, okay? Uh, it's poorly translated in English, I think, in one place, um, uh, it says this, for, so it's connected to 15, okay, whoever looks, whoever believes in Christ on the cross, looks to Him in faith, will have eternal life, for, he says, God so loved whom? The world. The world. See, everyone who believes, looks on Christ and believes can be saved, for God so loved the world. Now, when we think the world in that context, what do we think? The whole world. We, th- we think every, every single human being. Why? Because we're programmed to. Because that's the way this has been used all our lives in, in, in Western society for the last 150 years. Okay? First of all, that so, when, we, when we hear that word so, we think what? Oh, so much. 
So much. That's not the word in the Greek. Look it up. I promise you. It's, 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 it's the word hutos, uh, uh, I think is what it looked that up. But it means in this manner. Yeah. Like this. Yes. This is the way that God... It has nothing to do with amount. You see that degree of intensity, degree of in, uh, severity. You could, you could translate it, this is the manner in which God loved the world. Okay? And again, this is scandalous to be saying this to these Jewish people. God loves the world. They think, no, He don't. He, Jesus, the Messiah is coming to destroy the world. Right? right, the Messiah is coming to destroy our these Roman occupiers to do to condemn them. Right, John says no, no. Just Jesus is lifted up. John twelve. I'll draw all men to me. Okay, same kind of context. He says this is a manner that God loved the world. He gave His only Son again. That whoever believes in Him, that's the criteria, would not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, okay? Also still in the context, the same line of thought. Why would he say this here? For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. That's what Nicodemus thought. Yeah, that's what Nicodemus thought. He was the ruler of the Jews. That's what most of them thought. They stumbled over it. They wanted him to come and provide a political victory over Rome. They wanted him to come and destroy the Gentiles and and, and save the people politically. And he says, I've not come to condemn the world. Okay? He said, I've come to save the world. See that? Uh, uh, But in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, verse 18, if that's not convincing enough. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Notice it's whoever believes, Jew or Gentile. But whoever does not believe, what's their status? They stand under condemnation for their sin. Do you see that? This is the proper categorization of people on the earth. It's, It's those who are Christ and those who are not. Those who believe in Him and those who are not. There aren't any more basic two groups than that. It doesn't matter who your daddy is, what your bloodline is, fill in the blank. There are those who stand condemned apart from Christ and there are those who are in Christ, those who will come to believe on Him. We'll definitely qualify that in weeks to come uh, as we get to the epistles. Um, but for now, we just need to see the context and we need to think through what's the emphasis. Because if, if, if the emphasis is God loved the world, so, so He gave them eternal life, and the world means every single human being, then again, we've become universalists. Right? We've come to say no one goes to hell. So our understanding of the world, what, what that expansive language means it must comport with the rest of Scripture. <laughs> it must align with what the Scripture tells us elsewhere. Right. Amen? The, the Scripture contradict itself. No, no, it does not. No, that's right. If it appears to, where's the problem lie? With us. With us. Thank you, interpretation. That's right. I, I often say I probably wear it out, but it's so important. When The, the, the litmus test for true theology... Is is not even it's not even although this is important it's not even uh, accept broad uh, uh, broad acceptance or or even his finding historical uh, uh, lineage for it the the ultimate litmus test for truth and for true theology is is when when your theology causes the scripture to cease to contradict anywhere. Right. You see that when the scripture no, when what you believe no longer causes one verse of scripture to stand at odds with another, that's when you've come to a true theology on that subject or a true and accurate theological position on that subject. That's so important. All right, any questions on that before I before we move on? All right, then I've explained it perfectly. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. John 6, 
Oh, we like John 6. Jesus said to them, this is, remember, this is after one of the miraculous feedings. Um, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father, notice the tense, gives you the true bread from heaven. What's he referring to? Himself. Himself. Amen. All right, verse 33. The bread of God, remember the manna that God gave, not to everyone, just to Israel, by the way, right? Just to the people in covenant. He says, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and look, gives life to the world. Now, if we define the world like 20th and 21st century Western evangelicalism tends to do, then what are we left? What are we forced to say here? He gives life to everyone. He's, everyone has life. What life? Verse 35, or two, or no. I'm back in John 3 in my mind. Eternal life, right? I think it shows up actually in a minute. All right, skip to verse 35 there. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me. Who's he talking to? Yeah, pre- predominantly, I mean, there may be some Gentiles mixed in here, but predominantly uh, physical, natural Israel. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Now watch what he says, 37. And that's going to keep that in mind for this morning too. <laughs> he says, all that the Father gives me, what? Will come to me. Meaning they'll believe in him. Right, all, all that the Father um, 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 uh, grants or, or or gives to the Son to redeem, right. all those for whom He is expected to be the bread of life and to give eternal life, He right. says it's sure and certain they will come to Him. And He says when they come, I won't cast them out, any of them, Jew or Gentile, etc. Verse thirty-eight. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Right? He's saying, I'm on a mission. I'm on a task. As a man, not that their wills are contradictory, right? But we do recognize Jesus with a divine will and a human will. Okay? The, the human always giving deference to the divine. The divine is one with the Father. Right? Don't have time for all that. I probably shouldn't even gone into that. But the point is what? He came for a definite purpose. Right. And he says, I will accomplish that purpose. All that the Father give me will come to me, and I will save them. We'll read on. Verse 40 is what we see. For this is the will of my Father. This is what He came to do. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes, think John three fourteen, right, should have eternal life. That's the will of the Father. Jesus said, that's what I've come to do. Do you think He's going to accomplish it? I think he has accomplished it. Amen, right? And he says, I'll raise them up on the last day. See that? All that you've given me in John 17, I've lost none. See that? Um, He says, so so his work is going to be fully effective. He will fully carry out the will of his Father in saving, redeeming those that the Father gives him. Okay? See, that's not generic and abstract. That's not just loose and bubbling over and just, 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 you know, casting out, blowing out in the hopes that it does something. Right. See, that's the way we tend to look at the atonement. That's Jesus saying, the Father sent me to the earth with a purpose and I'm accomplishing that purpose. And it's certain I won't fail in the least iota what did Jesus say multiple times at baptism and at the transfiguration? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Right. See that? He's fully pleasing his son. The son it was the first fully faithful servant of God. Um, let's see, where did we get to? Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me. So now John, who's usually very expansive because of the Gentile uh, factor, 
now is restrictive in a sense. Uh, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's right. And look, what happens to those that the Father sent, that he draws, I'll raise them up on the last day. He didn't say might, he said he would. Yeah, yeah it's certain. It is accomplished. It's, it's certain, it's certain, that's right. His work is ongoing, even now, now right. but... The, the 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 resurrection is the certainty that he will complete it. Yes, amen. That it will be come to its final fruition, its final salvation. Yes. All right, John ten. Jesus, you know this. This is the good shepherd. Notice, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for whose sheep? His sheep. His sheep. If you think of the pastoral analogy, yeah. right, is the, what does the shepherd do? He protects his flock. Right. Does he protect the birds of the field and the, and the deer and the rabbits that are while they're out grazing? No. no. What's his interest in? His sheep. sheep. And he lays down his life for the sheep. Yeah. And he sleeps, he sleeps at night at the, at the, the gate of the the sheepfold, where any danger would have to come across him. Right. See that to get to them. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, verse 14, Jesus speaking. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's a huge statement. And look, here we go. With John's expansiveness again. <laughs> Remember, John is a younger, much later writer, right? So, this understanding of the Gentile inclusion in the new covenant, like it's more, by the time John records this gospel, these sayings of Jesus mean more probably than the earlier gospel writers do because John's seeing, oh, here's the plan. So, he's recording a lot more of this language than the other gospel writers. Do. Where did I get to? I'm sorry. 16. 16. Yeah, okay. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. See the expansive language? Look, it'd probably be a good idea if I brought them also. I must. Right? I've come to do my Father's will. I must bring them also. And they will. Hopefully. No. 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 <laughs> they will. Listen to my voice. And then what? What's the result? There's one flock. Because there's one shepherd. See that? Those from outside the natural flock, those from within it, all who are in Christ are the flock of God. And Jesus is the chief shepherd. See? Um, Alright, 20, what, 25? Alright, this is just for doubling down here. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. Again, speaking to predominantly natural Israel. uh, The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe. Why? Now that's not fair. You you see what I'm saying? Like The same thing that bothers our sensibilities is, is being addressed here. He says, the reason you don't believe is not because you have an academic problem, because you're not my sheep. Because you don't belong to the Father. Even though they would all have said, yeah, we do. Like, we're Abraham's offspring. He says, no, you're not my sheep. Because if you were, you'd believe on me. If the Father had sent, sent me to save you, you would believe on me. See, that's that chain of certainty that we see. In Romans 8 and otherwise. Um, He says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. See that. He don't lose them. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's cause for much rejoicing, Christian. And he says, look. He goes back to the beginning. My father who has given them to me. See, notice it's both. His will and the Father's aligned. His work and the Father's decree. 
of election, etc., a line. He says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. Yes. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. That's right. All right. That's, that's certainty, brethren. That's not, boy, I sure hope this works out. No. I'm going to do this really good thing and make something really great possible. <laughs> but, and I'm not trying to be smart when I say it like that, but like when we think of it in that term, see, it... it, it it frames it in a different light, right? It does. It's no, this is what I've come to it's do. I'm, I'm going to do it. There's no doubt. I won't, let, there, I won't lose one stray sheep. Not a one. Not a one that's mine. Right? Why? Because I'm the good shepherd. John 11. Let's see. Hey, we might can get through this. All right. All right. Uh, let's see. Let me remind myself what's going on here. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But, so this is moving toward the end of Jesus' earthly ministry prior to the cross. and and uh, But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, uh, nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than that the whole nation should perish. Remember the setting here. He's... They're like they're, they know it's unrighteous to kill Jesus. Right. They really know it. Right. But he's saying this is causing such an uproar among the people. The people, the common people, the lowly, like they're convinced this guy's a prophet. And 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 if we kill them, you know, the people are going to just have their underwear in a bunch, you know, and it's just going to be bad for us. But the these the the rulers here who have to deal with the Roman governors and such, they're saying, look. <laughs> it's better that we kill this man unjustly than that the Romans destroy the whole nation because of all this calamity. Okay, that's a crude paraphrasing. That's, um, that's but, but yeah, that's the basic gist of it. Um, so, look at the way John interprets that under inspiration. <laughs> he says, unwittingly even, <laughs> this guy did not love Jesus, right? Caiaphas. He says he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. See that? Okay, now, if we stop right there, we say, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? Because John said the whole time Jesus died for the world. Well, again, this is so important that we read the next verse. Okay, and I'm not being cute or funny there, but I'm just saying how when you take an isolated verse and you just use it to defend something without its context, this happens. And look, the very next verse, he says what? And not only for the nation only, but also together into one, one nation, the children of God who are scattered abroad. Do you see that? That's that inclusive, expansive language of John's Gospel, of the whole New Testament. That's the point of it. Is Whereas before, missions and evangelism was centripetal, meaning people outside were to, had to come to the nation to have the light of God. It's going to change in the New Covenant and it's going to be centrifugal. Right? It's going to start in the nucleus and it's going to go out. Um, and that's the emphasis. That's the. Sure, I understand. Sorry, sometimes my <laughs> accent Jesus. and Siri do not go along, <laughs> get along well. Talking of a woman in Samaria, that's what he was telling her. She was telling him that they ought to go to Jerusalem to serve God. He said he. How did he say it? I'm not gonna mess with that. She's talking about do you worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem? Right. He says neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem, but in spirit and truth. Right. The true worshipers will worship it in spirit and truth. Yeah, I mean that's a, it's a similar concept. Yes, yes, yes definitely. All right, almost done. John seventeen nine. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. I want you to see his discriminatory praying here. Intercession. He says, "I am praying for them." Who's he talking about? His children. Well, here specifically, his his apostles. Right. To begin with, right. he, he's, he's interceding. He says, all them that you've given me, I've kept them. I've not lost yeah. any except the son of perdition. That's right. Who was, That's a, right. who was, 
who was uh, uh, yeah, I was just trying to think of the language, but um, anywho, he knew who he was to begin with, so he didn't really lose any. Um, he says, I, I'm praying for them, and look, I'm not praying for the world. See, this is that church world sort of paradigm that we use today. Who's he interceding for? Who's he working for? Those given by the Father. Yeah, his own. Those that the Father had given him. He says, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. And then verse 20, this is why I say, uh, Robbie, brother, it includes this. He says, I do not ask for these only, the apostles, but for who else? For those who will believe in me through their word. Who's that? That's us. Yeah, thank you, brother. Dale says, me and you. Yeah, that's right. Praise God. We, we are those who have received the apostolic deposit of truth, and that's the means through which uh, we've come to faith in Christ. Right. And see, Jesus says, this is who I'm interceding for. This is for whom I'm standing as high priest and intercessor. We'll see that more later when we look at Hebrews and other places like that. And he says, I'm not interceding for anyone else. I'm interceding for them, for yes. the apostles, and for those who come to f- have faith in Christ through their ministry. Are you chomping with a question oh, no. there? Okay. Sorry. Are you sure? I didn't mean chomping your gum. You just looked like you were chomping at the bits to say something. So I wanted to give you opportunity. <laughs> Sean's scribbling away ferociously over there. I'm a little nervous. I'm kidding, bro. Sean's a gracious brother. Acts twenty twenty eight. Again, these are not exhaustive, but um, this one is profound. Yes. Remember Paul's leaving uh, the Ephesian elders, I think it is. It could not be. It could be another group. In any event, he's leaving the elders of a certain church, um, and he and he gives them this charge in his departing, uh, assuming that he won't see them again. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves. We could go into a lot of ministerial teaching over that, but we won't. And to all the flock, the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To ca- See the pastoral language. To care for whom? For the church of God. Now notice the description of the church of God. Which He obtained with His own blood. Right. Now is there certainty in that? Yes. We began with ransom. Right? We're ending with, with basically the same content. Purchase, redemption is what's in view here. If, if Jesus purchased the church with His blood, see, that's a payment. Like That's a particular payment. It's like, I have these people who are, who are, who are, who are dead in sin, who in their own native capacities are rebels to my Father, yet my Father set His love on them, and He sent me to redeem them to Himself. Right. With with my own blood, is he affected? Yeah. Is he fully affected? Yeah. Is anyone slipping through the cracks? No. Is anyone getting in apart from his purchase? No. Apart from his redemption. See, we need to frame our understanding of these things in 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 in, in the light of the Scripture in a comprehensive sense. And and Lord willing, we'll try to do that. There's, there's a lot more of this uh, language of, of uh, expansiveness and inclusivity, not in a, the way our culture is using the word inclusive right now, but meaning not just the Jews, inclusivity into the kingdom of God. Um, and we'll, we'll try to cover all that um, in due time. Uh, I'm not trying to avoid any of that. This is just the structure uh, uh uh, I just wanted to cover things in, in somewhat of a structure. Any any questions? I know it's an abrupt stopping point, um, but I am happy to field questions if possible. Well, wasn't this, when he talks about the sheep, of, the sheep that are not of this fold and, and the other people, isn't he really, the other word could be Gentile? Did they consider anybody who wasn't from Abraham a Gentile? Yes. And so this is inflaming the priestly 
body because this is not, they don't think that the Gentiles can be saved. Good word for it. Inflaming, yes. That's, yeah. yeah. They're the, the, being coming inflamed by all this language. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the continual. I mean, Acts twenty twenty eight. Now that you're talking about a Gentile church, right? Predominantly Gentile yes. church. But yeah, the language that we see in the Gospels, Jesus saying that to the Jews and to the Jewish religious leaders, absolutely, yeah, it's absolutely right. counterintuitive, countercultural. Yeah. One thing I would just say, um, you, I mean, this is your fourth installment, maybe. Maybe potentially your fifth or sixth. I can't remember. Oh, well, maybe. Yeah, but you've sorry. Been doing a long time. Yeah. And you've done a great job setting the foundation. Like, I would just say that if you're ever talking to somebody, and not just you, but all of us, uh-huh. who's under a different theological persuasion, yeah. that being sensitive to the fact that they might not have all this background right. is mm. crucial. Right. Sure. Because. That's all because. Coming across uh, in a way that's um, divisive or debating could really get them to not hear the truth. Yeah. Yeah. All the goodness that's here. Yeah, amen. And I apologize if I came across that way. No, you never had all. No, no, no. When when I feel rushed, I. What'd he say? What'd he say? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do try to guard that even when not. Yeah. 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 Amen to that. I mean, if you've been if you've been trained to think like in these certain categories, and that these words have these certain meanings and inferences your whole life, like I mean, it's just it's it's just it's impossible for you to just nobody's a blank slate. Nobody. Right? Nobody comes to scripture clear and free with with no bias, right? With no influence. So, yeah, like. We need to be gracious. We need to be gracious. Yeah, good word, brother. Will you dismiss us in prayer? Sure. Thanks. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time here. Thank you for your word. And thank you for Josh who's yes. spent so much time uh, really diving into this. And, uh, God, I pray that you would uh, just help us to uh, to continue to, to study your word, grow closer to you. And um, Lord, we just thank you for Jesus and uh, his death on our behalf eternal life that we have through him. And uh, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.